0: The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 95. UPS, FedEx, and other commercial delivery services receive up to 7,000 parking tickets a day in New York City, earning the city up to $120 million in revenue each year. No wonder it's so expensive to ship a package. One, two, three. Four. I'll show you Paris in the
1: I'll show you Monday afternoon and If you feel your Dublin heart is burning Yeah, well, you don't have to worry
0: Cause we're going there soon and you don't have to worry Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and whether this is your first time listening or you've gorged yourself on all the past episodes like a Thanksgiving feast, I want to say thank you for joining us today and making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And no matter how many times you've listened, you are in luck today because I've got a great guest for you, someone who has had some insane adventures around the world, like driving one-third of the way around the world to Mongolia, who has created a location-independent lifestyle out of her many, many passions, and who has been able to travel all over the world while still maintaining a home base in New York City because she's become an Airbnb pro, Charlie Grosso of charliegrosso.com. Charlie, thanks so much for coming on today, and welcome.
1: Thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, and Charlie, you wear so many hats. I didn't even know how to properly describe you. So what do you tell people when they ask you? So, Charlie, what do you do?
1: (laughs) Um, I don't know how to properly describe myself either, Travis. I started my career as an advertising photographer, and then I went on to become a creative director with my own boutique ad agency. And then after... The downturn in 08, everything kind of came to a halt, and I took off. I just kind of just had enough and shut everything down. And then in 2010, I decided it was the best time to start an art gallery. So then I became an art gallery director, owner, curator in New York City. Traveling has always been in the background, and it just kind of ramped up speed and intensity since 2008. I mean, what do you do in a downturn? Travel, of course.
0: Yeah, so you you do it all. And that's one of the things we're going to touch on. We've got a few different subjects here that, Charlie, you're really an expert on and that I want to kind of dig into. One of those is about building a location-independent lifestyle. And a lot of people who are listening want that because they want the freedom. They want to be able to travel more. So we give them a lot of tips on how to save money and things like that. But how do they get that freedom? So we've been talking a lot about location-independent lifestyle, some of the struggles of that, the obstacles, and of course, some advice that you're going to have on how you were able to take these jobs that might seem location dependent and make them work in this idea that you want to travel more. We're going to talk about some of your crazy adventures, about the Mongol Rally, about the rickshaw run, anything else that you've done that I probably don't even know about. So we'll talk about all that. And of course, we're also going to dive into the Airbnb apartment rental world. We've discussed it a lot from a renter's perspective. So a lot of the listeners have heard that. And I've been constantly telling them how they can use it to, to travel more authentically, get good travel deals stuff like that. But we're going to touch on it with you about the perspective of someone who rents out their own place and who is a host and how that is a main catalyst to helping you travel more. So lots of good stuff, listeners. Charlie, I hope you're prepared for me to pepper you with a bunch of questions because you've got a lot of expertise. So talk to us in the beginning here about this location-independent lifestyle because, as we said, you wear a ton of different hats how do you make it all work? Because a lot of people have a ton of passions, but they don't know how to turn that into something that they can continue to do and, and to build momentum with.
1: It's a constant juggling act, and, and it depends on where I am, like different things get dealt with. Like my gallery has a staff of four, plus me, that's five. And so, and we oversee 16 artists. So there's a lot of delegation that happens on my end. Everything comes my way, and then I send it back out. And then I spend a lot of time tracking, like, did you get that done? Did you get that done? I think my gallery could have grown bigger and faster had I just stayed in New York and did one thing. I think my gallery has suffered in that respect. Or just the growth just hasn't been what it could have been if I just stayed in New York City. But at the same time, I can't seem to give up the road.
0: So again, a very location-independent thing. I mean, an art gallery, it exists in one place, although I'm sure people have come up with ways to make virtual art galleries and things like that. But your art gallery in one place in New York City, so most people think, okay, so Charlie runs an art gallery. That's that's kind of her main form of employment here. So she must be in New York City at all times. How did that work out? Because you said you you bought it and you started it. Were you doing the gallery kind of bootstrap from the very beginning, you putting all the time in, or was the goal to always kind of turn it into a thing that other people helped you with?
1: The gallery was started with a partner of a friend of mine back in twenty ten. We started with a pop up model because we didn't want to go into real estate. So we always kind of set it up so that we wouldn't be tied down with real estate costs and a really heavily burdened overhead from the get go. So in the beginning was me and a partner and for our first season we hired an army of interns. I hired 16 interns for the first season. So then I spent my time managing 16 interns. But for that season I was actually physically in New York City. And since then like you know our intern numbers has fluctuated on and off and and now I actually have a permanent staff instead of short-term interns. The gallery generates about a third of my revenue. I generate about a third of my revenue from my photography. And I generate about another third from a mix of travel writing and consulting. So everything kind of comes in different pieces. And for me, I would say that that's kind of critical for being location independent of just diversification and, and having multiple income streams, irrespective to what that may be. And some of them has nothing to do with travel. With
0: the diversification, I think that's an important point. You know a lot of people will say like I want to do this and I'm going to make money and that's going to afford me a travel and, and if they've listened to the podcast they know that I have a you know it's the it's the main site but there's a lot of arms to it right consultation and the products and and the affiliate stuff and if someone is looking to to be location independent for you has there ever been a time where you thought The juggling act, I'm going to give up one of these to to pursue another, or is it always kind of just meshed well? Because a lot of times, that's an entrepreneur's biggest struggle is, do I devote all my time to one thing, or do I try a bunch of different things in hopes that I can make it work?
1: I struggle with that a lot myself, and that question hits me hard every time Like I come off a long stint, because it's more economically feasible to do longer stints than it is to do shorter stints of traveling. Like, every time I come off a long stint, I have the same question. Like, I could I could be, quote-unquote, more successful with Project X or Career Track X if I just stay and did that, right? That's kind of, like, the tried-and-true philosophy that we're kind of fed, right? But here's the thing, Travis. Like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy if I'm just here.
0: So you just like trying... Different things. You're having, having at least three major arms that you can say, all right, I'm going to pop over to this and then maybe this gets my attention. And that's another question, I guess, for the time management. Does something get your attention kind of more than the other things for a certain amount of months and then you move on to something else? Or is it really just day to day, my time is split up in thirds doing art gallery, doing kind of travel writing and doing my photography?
1: It's never that clean. I wish it was. I wish I could just spend, you know, literally divvy of my days in thirds. Honestly, it's whatever's on fire. (laughs) Whatever's on fire gets my attention today. And then after that becomes this game of, okay, what needs to get done? What is urgent? What is what is on the horizon? Now that I got my letter invite for Pakistan, tomorrow I'm going to have to go do a consulate run. That was not planned for tomorrow, but we're going to squeeze that in tomorrow because that needs to happen.
0: So your, your work flow is very free flowing yes. for the most part.
1: Absolutely. And I think I think at the core of being location independent is that sense of fluidity. I've been a freelancer since I was 18. I've never had an employer.
0: Wow. That's something that not many people can say. What if you could point to something or a few things that has enabled you to do that from when you were 18 until now and have been successful enough to have continued doing it? Because a lot of people try freelancing and it either won't work for them or they give up because it's not stable enough. What is it about freelancing and doing your own thing and your personality that's been able to make it work?
1: Never give up.
0: (laughs) Just straight perseverance, right?
1: In the 18 years I've been in business for myself, in multiple industries, I've seen one, two, two and a half downturns. So post 9 11 and then 2008. And then we took kind of took a dip in between the two. I just shot an analyst on Friday and, you know, he's all predicting like doom and gloom for, you know, our financial futures. So I was like, great. Yay. There's been like challenging times and you do what you have to do to, to kind of make it work out. And at the very end of the day, like, I honestly give myself a pep talk telling me that, telling myself that, you know what, you've been working for yourself since you're 18, and you never had to go work for minimum wage. You haven't worked for minimum wage since your college days.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've been able to do it. I think that's important that people understand that it's not going to probably be one thing, unless they're lucky or very good at one thing, that's going to kind of be their career arc. Okay, I'm good at this, and you know, 30 years from now, I'm still going to be doing that, and it's going to get better. If you are location-dependent, if you are an entrepreneur, and if you are some someone who wants to dig into that type of stuff, there's so many things that happen that you... Even in the last couple of years that I've been doing it, I never envisioned doing a podcast. I, you know, that wasn't what I thought I was going to do when I started out. I thought it would just be writing. I never envisioned doing video series. I thought it would be writing. And like you mentioned, you know, the art gallery thing, it just kind of happened and then you just go with it. So I think people forget that they can change and they probably will change throughout even 4 or 5 6 years of when they begin
1: i think that's kind of a critical component to like what doesn't get discussed in the way in the way that the system kind of raises us right the system's raised us to go to school get a degree get a job within your degree and you work that basically from 22 or 25 to 65 so 40 years 40 years in one single career track with a maybe like not even a detour, but you know, like a slide diversion and, and you work that and then you retire and I guess get a golf club membership. I don't know. I don't know what you do. You retire.
0: <laughs> or a sailboat. One or the other, right?
1: <laughs> take up knitting and pottery as a woman. <laughs> I don't know. We change. People change, right? Who you are today is not who you were four years ago. It's not who you were when you're 18. Certainly not. Like, people change, so why wouldn't our interests and our aspirations and and our chosen careers change as well? Then it only makes sense that we pick up all these different things and these different interests and passions along the way and, and, and want to see how far it can take us. It may never turn out to be a career. It might just still ever be a hobby or a passion, right? But a lot of us, do make a career out of it. And I think sometimes those are the best careers.
0: And I think that's one of the beauties of being location independent and being an entrepreneur is that you do change. And when you travel, obviously that we've talked a lot on this podcast of how travel changes you. And it's hard to go away on a trip and not be changed. And so here, if you're doing kind of what you want to do or you have your passion or or you have whatever business it is and you go away and you live somewhere else or you travel somewhere else and you come back, you can implement that in in some form, in some fashion, whereas a lot of people don't have that option. They'll come home to their regular job after a trip and, and feel different, right? Like, man, that really changed me. I saw something really neat. I, I feel different, but then they can't implement what they learned or or implement their feelings that they had. It just becomes, okay, now I'm back to my job. Boom, 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 I do that job. And then you lose that feeling because it kind of gets dulled from, quote, unquote, normal life.
1: A good friend of mine, a very good friend of mine works for a huge, you know, global corporation. And they went away on their honeymoon. And he said that it changed him, you know, just being in in Tahiti and beyond French Polynesian islands, and he described it exactly the way you said it. He has this feeling, right? He comes home with it and he doesn't know what to do with it because he's got a great job career in a global corporation, and there's a lot of structure in place that is designed to dull change, you know to kind of hammer down that nail as as much as everybody talks about innovation and being disruptive that might be more marketing than it is at the core of these global entities.
0: And only a few people usually lead that innovation charge. It's usually a a te- like you said a team of marketers or a team of people who can be innovative, but for the most part, the regular workers in the company, you know, there are companies who are good at it and and who encourage it, but for the most part you're going to come back and it's going to take away some of that sense that you had when you were on the road and I think That's one of the things that when we talk about the positives of location independence gets a little looked over. Usually it's like, well, I can live where I want so I can lay on the beach and type up my blog post if I want. But it's really the fact that as I change, my business can change and what I'm doing can change and I can take it in any direction I want. Maybe I take it in a direction that isn't as successful financially, but maybe it's better for me, or maybe I take it in a direction that's better for me and is more successful financially, or maybe I just don't care and I just do what I want. You know, I—it's the freedom part of it. I think that people overlook sometimes. They—they they want it because they—they they want to be able to travel more, and obviously that's one of the reasons I first started. But then you really get the sense of intrinsic freedom to do what you want
1: it's almost like we're reminded that we were born free it's a it's a birthright and not and not a privilege we earn we're not children at the dinner table right it's not a you can't leave until you finish x it's not a you can't be free and do x until you put in x many years at company y it's a birthright and not a not a privilege that needs to be earned And I think we forget that. But the thing that I think, you know, scares most people about being in location independent or or the lifestyle that we live is security.
0: Yeah. And that's a huge one. Let's talk a little bit about the obstacles that you faced in having this lifestyle that now you enjoy and, and you get to do three different kind of verticals and just really like them. But there's a lot of obstacles to that lifestyle, not just to get to where you are, but even now where you are, there's a lot of obstacles that stand in the way and there's a lot of things that suck about it, you know, to use the the easiest term. (laughs) What are some of those things that you're like, yeah, this sounds great on the surface, but I had to work through this and this to get to it. Shed some light on, I guess, the reality of it.
1: Um, (laughs) Security. Well, from a philosophical standpoint of view, like, are we ever really secure, right? Because you could argue, as a freelancer, we used to argue the point of you have no security because your boss could just say you're fired and you're done. So security is an illusion. And I think you challenge that very basic notion of security once you start traveling. Like, where am I going to sleep? How am I get it from point A to point B? Like, I'm lost. You know, any of the things that, that really challenges, like, basic comfort, security, beyond, you know, will I be able to retire kind of security?
0: Right. Daily security versus long-term security. It's, it's all in flux for the most part.
1: Exactly. So I think kind of traveling kind of dissipate that illusion a little bit, dissipate the sense of security. But I think it also reinforces it. I've gotten into my share of mishaps on the road, and, and everything worked out. So how bad could it really be ultimately?
0: Yeah, I think once you take that first step, it's very scary. There isn't a lot of security. Even now, after having done this for three years... You know, month to month is a roller coaster ride, both financially, emotionally. Not even month to month, day to day, emotionally, (laughs) exactly, is is a roller coaster. Some days it just everything's awesome. I can't believe so many people are downloading the podcast. We have so many emails. People are loving it, and the next day, you know, you get a mean email or or you something happens, it just throws your whole day in whack, and you're like, what. Why couldn't I just be sitting in an office doing mindless work and come home and watch TV and just forget about <laughs> it? you know so it's one of the realities that it all looks good on the surface, but there's some you know you pull back the veil and there's there's some difficult parts not just to get to a level but to actually stay there and then the day to day daily life of being your own boss and being location independent and being entrepreneurs. Not easy, not stress-free, let's put it that way.
1: Oh, no, it's definitely not stress-free. And you know, as well as I do, everybody always go, oh my God, your life looks amazing, it's ideal. And you're like, listen, I've been on the road for six months, I have two pairs of pants on me. I've been living in one of them for four months now. I haven't had a shower that's in a bathroom that is divided in two parts.
0: It looks good on Facebook, right? But <laughs> yes. And it is good and it's and it's great and it's why we choose to do it. But there are, there are some stark realities. If you were giving tips to someone who was starting out, someone who, who just came in and was like, Charlie, I've got a lot of passions. I really know that I want to lead a lifestyle that, that's on my own terms, whether that's you know working and starting my own company and doing that, or just taking my passions and my skills and even freelancing for someone else or things like that. What kind of stuff could you give them to start out, like just, just to even begin?
1: For traveling, it would just be to go, really, to go. And, you know, I personally believe that the trial by fire kind of methodology. So go to the hardest place you think and start there. But I understand that that's not necessarily good for most people. I might just shock them away from ever doing it again. I don't know. In terms of entrepreneurship, get creative with where you think revenues could come from in the needs that you could fulfill for other people. When I started out in business, in photography as a photographer, I would say the best piece of advice I ever got was don't put your money in hardware. Don't put your money in hardware, don't go buy a bunch of cameras, especially this being you know a photographer's business. Don't go buy a bunch of equipment, put your money in advertising, put your money in marketing. Because whatever you need, you can always rent and borrow but they'll never appreciate in value.
0: Yeah. And I think that even a, a bigger step on that too is to try to do as much with sweat equity when you're starting, which means you putting the time in, but not necessarily putting a lot of money in. Because at any point, if you've just put a lot of your time in, and this could be for people who have a regular job right now. And instead of at 5 p.m. coming home and, you know, doodling around on the internet and watching a bunch of TV, you 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 then take whatever it is you're trying to build into a business and you do it while you have a regular job. So it's not even like you have to leave your regular job and put in, you know, eighty hours a week. But put in your time versus your money. And then if you have to step away or you want to step away you know, there's nothing wrong about it. You've just wasted some time. And when I say wasted, you've probably learned some valuable skills and stuff that can translate to something else anyway.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, make it fun. Make it a game. Make it do whatever whatever methodology it is that works for you. Another traveler, I don't know if you know him, Scott Brills?
0: Yeah, I do know Scott.
1: So Scott and I are good friends. And Scott and I started this thing of just being accountable because he's trying to build up his safari business. And I'm in the middle of two books that I'm trying to finish the manuscripts for. So we started on the accountability thing, and the thing was, I was like, okay, how do you want to run this? He's like, I don't know. I've never done this before. I was like, okay, are you you incentive-driven or are you punishment-driven? He's like, well, I think it'd be hard to incentivize us at this point, you know, being mid-career, mid-30s, having been super independent and super living life on our terms in kind of all regards. So we decided to implement this punishment-based system each week, we have to come up with three tasks, like sizable, achievable, confirmable tasks. And for each task that is not accomplished, we owe each other
0: $100. A punishment. I think that's great. I've, I am doing the same thing with a buddy of mine when it comes to fitness. And it's it's $5 a day, and it's fairly easy tasks, like 50 push-ups or you know 40 burpees or wall sits, whatever it is, and if we don't do it, Five bucks, and it's not even the money for me. Now, it might be for you guys because a hundred bucks is a a nice (laughs) chunk of change. Yeah, that's a nice chunk of change. For me, it's more like I don't want to have to text you and say that I owe you five bucks. It's not that I can't give you five bucks, it's that you're doing it and I'm not. And I think that just helps spur you on even more.
1: Exactly. And for Scott and I at this point, it's definitely like we put the price tag so high. It's definitely that I am. Come hell and high water, like I'm not giving you $100.
0: Right, right. <laughs> I'm
1: not giving you $100, so I'm gonna make sure that I get my things done. That that works for us, you know. It's a lot of it's about finding that system that works for one thing. You know, part of the location independent conundrum that Sherry Odd and I talk about is the loneliness thing on the road and feeling very disconnected. That's another fun. You know, yeah, that's
0: a whole podcast right there. Right? I
1: know.
0: <laughs> right. Those are some great tips. I think, I think if it's travel, go for it. Pick a place. I'm, as Charlie mentioned, if you think you can do something harder than. I don't want to say some traveling is harder than others, but it kind of is. So if you think you can do something more exotic or or out of your comfort zone, maybe that's a good way of putting it, uh, than just going to Paris, maybe you do something. If not, then you go to Paris and then you dip your toe in the water and you go somewhere else and you go somewhere else and you go somewhere else. And it really just comes down to where you want to go. But with the entrepreneurship thing, hold yourself accountable, make little goals, and put in your effort versus your money and versus I'm going to spend a lot of money and think like a better camera is going to make me the best photographer – Spend the time learning the skills and getting your name out there and, and you know maybe even doing a little bit of work for people cheaper for free so you build a portfolio versus, yeah, I'm going to go get a $2,000 camera. All of a sudden, everyone's going to want me because still no one knows who you are if you're just starting.
1: Absolutely, especially in an age where you know, we shoot everything on our phone anyways. You know, it's, it's definitely not a bigger, it's better game. And have fun with it. Have fun with it because if it's not fun, then what's the point?
0: That's ultimately what we're trying to tell you, whether that's the fun is location independence, whether the fun is starting your own business, or whether the fun is just doing something different from what you're doing now, or doing what you're doing now with a new mindset or a new spin on it. That's the goal, is living life on your own terms. And you've been able to do that. You've taken on some crazy adventures. Um, It seems like you're taking on new ones all the time. Talk about a few of your more epic ones, because these are ones that have interest me and that I haven't done yet, (laughs) but are-
1: You totally should, Travis. Yeah,
0: they're in my head like, I'm going to do that. I just have to figure out when. So talk to us about a few of the adventures that you've done.
1: I did the Mongol Rally, which is an epic overland drive in a small, tiny, inappropriate vehicle for the terrain, going from London to Mongolia. It took me about six weeks. Completely unsupported, unrouted. You can go whichever way you want to go. Figure out how you're going to cross the borders and get visas and so on and so forth. There's a lot of logistics that needs to happen. It was just incredible. My teammates ended up dropping out on me and I ended up being the only woman who completed the race alone that year.
0: Wow. Now, did they drop out on you while the race was happening or prior to you even leaving?
1: Um, huh. This was a fun little social media snafu. I met them on social media, and, you know, people are who they pretend to be. So one of them dropped out before we started, and the other one dropped out um, about two weeks in, sadly, before we got to the good stuff, before we got to the really epic parts.
0: Yeah, tell us about the good stuff, because London to Mongolia, if if you guys aren't looking at a map, you might wonder, how does that work? Basically, you're driving through Europe all the way through most of Central Asia, to mongolia
1: so there's two launch lines there's one in london or just outside of london and then um, you ferry across and you go through france i think france belgium germany before you get to prague where there's a second launch line and then from prague everybody kind of goes willy-nilly whichever way they want to go the fastest route is to just cut up to russia as quickly as you can and then fly through russia I went the sudden route and also one of the harder routes without going through Iran, because at the time when we planned the routes, I had other teammates that were difficult if we could get into Iran. So for me, I went through Austria, Czech Republic, Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey, Georgia, Azerbaijan. Waited for a while for the cargo ship um in Azerbaijan and Baku to ferry me across the Caspian. That that was kind of interesting, just because the cargo ship is not ferrying you across is not their job.
0: Right. They're a cargo ship, not a person ship.
1: (laughs) You're you're extra cash. You're totally extra cash. This isn't like getting on, you know, the ferry up in Seattle or British Columbia. Like nothing like that. Going across the Caspian on a cargo ship and then Turkmenistan Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. There are teams that will go deeper into Central Asia and do the premier highway, but there were rebel activities that year, so a lot of people ended up cutting that out. Kazakhstan, and then you dip into Russia for a second before you come back out into Mongolia. From the Caspian Sea onward, it was just spectacular. Complete wilderness. It was truly a different world. For someone who's been... Like all over the world already, for that to impress me was really, you know, the the region isn't terribly stable, but it's not as fraught as other places. It, it was just excellent.
0: These type of epic adventures, usually people say, "All right, knowing what I knew now, like I wouldn't do it again." Or why'd you why'd you do this? Naivety or ignorance or whatever it is. Hubris. Yeah, hubris. I, I watch your video on your site. The guy says hubris, which I thought was really funny. You know, let's talk about why did you do it to begin with? So what was your thinking prior to that? Probably like my thinking with most things is like, ah, this will be kind of bad, but actually it's just going to be really, really fun. How did your actual experience mesh with what you thought beforehand? And then would you do it again?
1: Yes, I would do it again. So Scott Brills, and I talk about this all the time, because he, he hit a snafu and couldn't make it to the finish line. So it's kind of unfinished business for him he wants to finish it. And I'm like, but we've already done it. So there's kind of that, like, i already done it, so I don't want to do it again sense. But as I talk about it with you, I'm like, it was so incredible and I loved it so much that I would do it again differently. Harder, longer, tougher, slower. A variable needs to change so that it would still be a challenge.
0: How challenging was it the first time? Because people hearing this are probably thinking, all right, she's driving a tiny little car, basically by yourself for most of it, across some of the world's worst roads, most remote areas, uh, you know, you could throw adjectives on top of adjectives here. What was the most challenging part of it? Was it Was it physically? Was it mentally? Was it emotionally? Or what's for you? Were you just like, no, ah, this is great the whole way through. No issues. Let's make it harder.
1: We have some issues, you know, there are some breakdowns. There were some border crossing issues, you know, being a woman alone, like a lot of, In numerous times, like when I got pulled over, how do you be respectful without this getting to like a really kind of sticky situation? You know, there was one border guard was like, no, no, you should just stay here and stay with me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to keep on going. I need to keep on going. Not staying. Uh Uh-uh. Not okay. Can I have my passports back? You know that nervous feeling you have when they have your documents in their hands and they're asking you to do something you don't really want to do. How do you get it back without pissing them off? I think it th- I think the endurance and I think just what you had to do every day but the offset was so amazing. All the things that we love about traveling, those those moments of like absolute high, it was like that all the time.
0: Just so new and and everything is so unique and interesting. Basically, your senses are overload most of the time.
1: Yeah, it was just it was it was an absolute high all the time. That's an amazing feeling that it's hard to get back to. And in despite all the all the wacky moments and the hard moments, you know, nearly getting into a fight with this Mongolian guy trying to get a tire from my car, it uh, is offset by how quickly like the sublime comes back on the other side. Cuz you hold on to that, you hold on to that so much more than Whatever obstacle it is you had.
0: Yeah. And if you guys are interested, it's called the Mongol Rally. It's run by a website, a group of people called the Adventurists. And they run, I don't know now, maybe four or five different types of adventures.
1: They actually run, I think, like eight. Well, it's now nine different adventures across the globe with different vehicles, things, Motorized, non-motorized um, aids because they do they do a horse rally. Uh, I think that's the only like non-mechanical one um, across the world. It's it's ridiculous. There's there's an element of the ridiculous to all what they do they do, and in, in which I love.
0: Yeah, and the cool part about it, and as I said, I've never done it. We've been trying to get them on the show for a while, but they're constantly all over the globe. So at one point, it will work out, and we will talk more about each thing that they do, but you, you can do it in any way that you want, but there are other people quote unquote racing you across the globe. So it's not you doing it completely solitary. There's other people doing it at the same time as you. You might take different routes. You might see them. You might not. How did that play into your experience? You know, Were you with people most of the time? Were you alone most of the time? And And if someone's willing to do it, can they do both?
1: Absolutely, it's definitely you're you're a master of your own fate. You can design this however you want, right Towards the end, I spend most of my time with other teams, a for safety and b it just made sense at that point, like everybody kind of wanted to stick together. It was the same thing for the rickshaw run, which is another event held by the adventurists. Sherry and I did it this year it's a it's a trans India race in an motorized rickshaw seven horsepower, like it was so hard. It was actually harder than the Mongo rally.
0: Guys, because we had so much great stuff from Charlie, we are splitting this interview up into two parts. So if you do want to hear Charlie's story about the rickshaw run, as she just began to mention at the end of this episode, and if you want to learn about Airbnb and how Charlie is able to rent out her place in New York City and make enough money renting it out so that she can afford to travel, and also all the tips and tricks that she has learned from renting her place out over the last three years, you're going to want to tune into part two of this this interview. So if you're listening to this live the day it comes out, part two will be coming out tomorrow. And of course, if you're listening to this in the future, you're in luck because you can roll right into part two. You can find part two at slash pods, or you can find it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to this podcast. And don't forget, if you're interested in what Charlie's been talking about, if you're interested in taking your passions, maybe you have multiple passions, and turning them into something that can be a career and that you can profit from and that maybe you can become location independent in, or if you're interested in more for adventures like the Mongol Rally and checking out some of the videos she made for that, you can go to her website, charliegrosso.com, find out everything about her there, all the cool stuff that she's involved in and that she's doing. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Thank you, as always, for all the awesome support, for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And of course, until tomorrow, happy free travels.